So as you know, for the past few weeks, I have been digging into the life of Peter. So why change it up this week? I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 12. And then we're going to dig into it. This is from the King James Version. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested Peter, he put him in prison. He delivered Peter to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping. He was bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by Peter, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side, and he raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And Peter's chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself, and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So when he so he went out and followed the angel and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate which leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord, and they went out and they went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from Peter. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he considered this, he came to the house of Mary, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda, she came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but she ran and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Then they said to her, you are beside yourself. But she kept insisting that it was so. And so they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. There's a lot there. But digging into this context wise, the church was in a place where many people were being added to the church on a regular basis. It was not without its problems. Up to this point, people had lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. But this hit differently because this was John. This was James. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm new to this. <laughs> James, he's one of the twelve. He's one of the three that were in the garden that night, right? He was one of the ones that was there when Jesus calls the fishermen. This is big stuff. When he is struck down, that sends a message. This is a big deal. This is kind of like no one is off limits when we come for you. The church was coming up against resistance like they never had seen before. And the enemy was turning on the heat. Has anyone ever experienced this? I mean, you see that with churches. You see that in individuals. When there is growth happening, when there is a movement happening, then the devil perks up his ears and he locks on, right? Something He's not going to let it just slide sometimes because he wants to stop that. 
And so Peter is seized. It is said when you study this that Peter was seized because it was a political move on the part of the king because people who didn't like Christians, he was kind of catering to them. So if Christians got on their nerves, then he was going to go after those Christians, and that would make his poll numbers go up, right? People would like him more. Not saying that's a lot like society today, but that's a lot like society today. It seems like anything that is the opposite of God is what is promoted. And anything that is of God, a negative label is attached to that, and it almost seems like people run on the platform to just go against any of that and tear it down. So Peter was seized. That word there, when you look at that word, it is being squeezed. And I think of it in a way like a snake wrapping itself around something. A snake will not wrap around something that it does not intend on devouring. So here is Peter, and the plan is this. There's going to be a sham trial for Peter. The timing of what's going on with Peter is this, that you can't execute people during Passover. So they were just going to hold him in the prison, have a sham trial, and execute him. So this is kind of what Peter had to look forward to at this point. Arrested, imprisoned, and they place him with extra guards. Normally, you have one guard. Right, And if you're a higher-level prisoner, you will be chained to the guard. They have had four squads of four guards. So 16 people have been commissioned to keep an eye on Peter. And the message is, if we can get to James, we can get to you. Verse 5 says this, and I'm going to try to get past this one today. It's going to be hard. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Here's what I need you to hear. Constant prayer was offered up. Here's the word that is used there for offered up. It is the same word where we get generator. And I can't help but think a couple of months ago when the storms blew in at my house and all the lights went out that I didn't have a generator. But Jeremy Jones saved me and he shows up with his truck with a generator. And out in the cold, running cords and everything else, Jeremy's priming the pump, pulls the cord and click on goes the power and there's heat in the house. This is what it reminds me of because there are going to be times in the church where somebody's going to show up and flip the switch. I want to be around people who do that. Thank you again, Jeremy. I was very warm. It, it beat not being warm. I think, though, with this word, Herod has the power of prison walls and soldiers, but the church has the power of prayer. We hear that word constant. You know what we think of in the church? We think of a prayer chain. That's what we think. That like people take an hour and, you know, nobody really wants to take between one and four because who wants to be up between one and four? We think of a prayer chain, right? But constant prayer, when you read about this, you imagine this, that things happen that are not during business hours. So it's not like this inconvenience to Peter's life with the upcoming execution all happen during business hours. And so the church gathers in someone's home. What happens in our homes as church family affects what happens in this house when we come together. This is why it's important. Like Josh and Tara, you get together at your house and you do crazy things like what? Like pray. 
and you have people over to pray, right? It's weird that we can pray when we're not here, and that breaks down walls with life groups. It is crazy how you can feel, how I told you, how you feel the Holy Ghost at a gun range when somebody is doing their devotional. No, that really moves me. But what we do as a church comes over into this house. That word constant. It's the same word as fervent. You've heard that verse, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Fervent, intensely passionate, boiling, burning, glowing. It goes deeper than that, though, when you study this word. The word constant has this idea of stretching as far as it can possibly stretch. In fact, the writer of this uses a medical term that means stretching or straining one's muscles to the point that they're about to give out. It's the same word which is used for Jesus praying in the garden. And so when this church got down and went to prayer, they didn't just mention Peter's name during now I lay me down to sleep. What they did is they got together and they said, we are going to pray and we're not going to stop praying. We're going to stand on Peter's behalf. They didn't know what was going to happen, but they knew how they were praying. I read this quote while studying. Much of our prayer is powerless because it lacks fervency. Too often, we almost pray with the attitude of wanting God to care about things we really don't care too much about. Earnest prayer doesn't have power because it in itself persuades a reluctant God. Instead, it demonstrates that our heart cares passionately about the things that God cares about. If you have four squads of soldiers, 16 soldiers, he's finding himself chained to not just one, but two guards at this point. Do you know what this reminds me of? Just hearing the way that God is setting this up. So a few years ago, there was this magician, I'll say illusionist, right? Because I don't want to get into a magician debate, but an illusionist, and he was named David Blaine, and he talked like he was falling asleep, but he did all these like really cool illusions, and it would be something like this, like tonight, David Blaine's going to hold his breath underwater for 30 minutes, and like it's coming up, and you're going to watch it, and like right before it happened, they're like, but wait, Before he does this, we're going to remove one of his lungs. Like, it would be something just so overboard, right? So overboard. And this is the way that I feel this story is stacking up. Like, it's ridiculous the amount of barriers to Peter's freedom that are being put in place. But then, like, but wait, there's more kind of thing. This is exactly how God works. As God's people, we need to start reading the room spiritually. What do I mean by that? Take into account the amount of ridiculousness that the devil is throwing at the God plan. He knows that great things are on the other side. He is throwing the kitchen sink for a reason. Can you not see it? The wording that's used there for the other guards, they were called keepers. Right, And we would think it's like, no, you're not going through that door. But the, the meaning of that word are people who would watch. In other words, God orchestrated it to put it in place to have extra witnesses to the miracles because somebody may not believe one guy. This is how God works. Verse 6, the night before Peter was to be brought out. 
In other words, this could have been the last night of Peter's life. And what does the Bible say? He lay there chained between two guards, sleeping like a baby. Or the new terminology that I've heard, sleeping like a husband instead of a baby. Because husbands sleep better than babies at night. Here's some bold faith advice from a pastor. Nothing burns the enemy up like when you lay your head down in peace at night when the storm's raging. It burns him up. Because here's the truth. You can pray any of the 24 hours in one day, right? But it's almost impossible for one person to pray for 24 straight hours. You get tired, right? You got to lay down. But what I feel like the companion of faith is, is the ability when the prayer stops to lay your head down and rest. It's like this companion thing because it says, God has got this. Isaiah 26, 3 tells me that the steadfast of mind, God will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in God. That word peace that's used there, shalom, to be safe, sound, healthy, perfect, and complete. It is the good that comes to the one that God favors. Peter was sleeping. He was resting like he should have been doing, and the church was praying like they should have been doing. Do you know what I can't help but think of? I can't help but think of as Tiff is going through her treatments. Right? And she goes through these treatments, and immediately after, you would need to rest. But as she rests, she's got praise music going on. And as she rests, the church prays. If that's not a model for how it should be, because I'm telling you what, a warring church spiritually is a dangerous church. There have been times that we have talked it, and there have been times that we have done it. I want to be on the doing side 10 times out of 10. Now behold... The angel of the Lord stood by Peter. A light shone in the prison. The angel struck Peter on the side. He raised him up and he said, arise quickly. Peter's chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, gird yourself up, tie on your sandals. And so Peter did. And the angel said to him, put on your garment and follow me. That's some sound sleep when an angel shows up and the room is glowing and you're still sleeping like a baby. Imagine that. I go in, like, Sunday morning, I try to get up early, and I always forget my socks, and so I'll sneak in. I try to, like, get the socks before I go get a shower. And Dina's like, wow, what's going on? What's going on? Like, she's ready to take me out. Like, she sleeps, like, this guy, literally an angel is coming to bust him out of jail and has to wake him up. I love this. That word, prison, cell, is, in the Bible, a tenement, meaning a temporary place to reside. Even the way that God is setting this up, that prison was not Peter's last stop. It was merely a place that he was going to be before God did what God was going to do. If it's God's will for you to spend some time in the prison, then God's going to give you contentment inside those walls. 
Nobody wants to hear it, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. Even when the enemy does his best to make you feel trapped, God has a way of making that place a place of peace. If that's where you are today, I just want to encourage you. You are not alone. God has not forgotten about you. The angel says to him, arise quickly. Here's what's beautiful about this. A couple chapters before with the lame man at the gate, beautiful. When Peter says, the silver and gold have I none. When he says, rise up and walk, it's the same word used when he told the man to rise up and be healed as the angel is telling him when he's laying there in that cell. That same exact wording. Peter, it's time to get up. But do you notice something like this? Peter still has his chains on what I love before he tells him to stand up is that he it says that he strikes him no not like strikes him but I mean he he gives him a good shove there are times when you or I are in our prison and we need a less gentle approach to get up and get moving in Jesus name there are going to be times that you are lifted into places of healing And there's going to be times that God's going to call on you to stand in what feels like a prison. Notice he didn't stand because the chains were gone. The Bible says that he stood in spite of the chains. He stood in spite of the presence of the guards. He stood in spite of the walls, the doors, and the distance between where he was and where freedom was. When he took a stand, the Bible says that the chains fell off. The angel didn't have a key. He didn't hand Peter a lockpick kit. They fell off when Peter was obedient. No, that would preach on its own that if there are chains, stand when God says stand. No, the next part. So when I feel the Holy Spirit, typically it starts on my forearms. And I'm feeling the Holy Spirit. This part, he says, gird yourself. This is very specific wording that's used here. He's not saying just merely get up and get dressed. But he's saying get up and get dressed in a manner that we're going to move quickly. Have you ever stopped to think of how much God's instruction is so practical for our lives? Get up, get your shoes on, and get dressed. You have what you need for where he is taking you. Cast your garment around you, he's saying. In the armor of God study that the ladies did, here was a thing that we discovered. That when you had your belt of truth, that you would take your garment and you would tuck your garment. You would tuck your garment to run. He wasn't just saying, get up. At night, you know, you have your robe and you're just like sauntering through the prison, right? But then when the angel is like, get up, tuck your robe in so you can run because we're going to be going, buddy. This is how God is speaking to us as a church. Like it is, you may look silly. Can you imagine? It would look like you're wearing a big old diaper if you did that, but it doesn't matter at that point. We're going somewhere. We are going somewhere. And so it says, he went out, he follows the angel, but he did not know what was done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. This is crazy. He's willing to be obedient even when he has not gotten the 10-point plan emailed to him the day before. I'm saying that for someone here because I'm telling you, it's like, well, if I just knew the next three God steps, okay, okay. How about you take this God step? 
How about you just listen? When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate, which leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. Every single suddenly is attached to a God plan. So when he says suddenly this happened, when he says get up, a God suddenly is about to happen and there is a God plan unfolding. Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him. Suddenly there he was. In law enforcement, which I am not a part of, but I watch cop shows, there are two kinds of warrants. Number one, there is a warrant that is a knock warrant and there is a no knock warrant. Why is this? It's because the no-knock warrant is meant so that those on the other side of the door or wall do not have time to react. What just happened here with the angel was a no-knock warrant entering the jail because he did not want Peter to try to talk himself out of what he was seeing. He just wanted to show up, kick the door in, do angel things, and say, let's go. And this is how God, as a church, I think, is approaching us. It's time for the no-knock warrant in our spiritual life. He isn't going to be like, yeah, I'm here to get you out of jail. Because you know what I'd say? I'm chained to two dudes who are bigger than me. All dudes are bigger than me. I'm chained to two dudes here, and there are doors and walls and gates and everything else. I'm not going anywhere. That's what I would say. But when the angel just shows up, he is taking him places. And it says they come to the iron gate. Why would it say iron gate, really? Like, is it talking about what everything is made out of in this chapter? No, but it says iron gate. Here's where someone is. The enemy is saying to you, Even if God could loosen the chains, there's the door. It's locked. Even if God could loosen the chains and get you out the door, there's a lot more doors. And then there's the iron gate. You know, it's almost like this intimidation thing. Like, give up hope. There's so many steps to get where you need to go. Give up hope. But here's what's really cool. God does something that only God could do. Number one, there's no mention of the guards in this whole jailbreak after this. I mean, later you find out that the guards were questioned and executed for letting the prisoner escape. But I'm saying in the immediate of the angel leading him out of here, there is no mention of the guards. But this intimidating gate, God does this. God invents something. The word that is used there, the Greek word, is what we get automatic from. He made an automatic door. Like he literally made a supermarket sliding door out of that gate on that night. It says it opened on its own. It's like Peter just walked up and like, and Peter just walks right through that. And then Peter says something which gives me great hope as a believer. Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and that he's delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. It only took those 15 miraculous things for Peter to figure it out, right? That speaks to me as a man because my wife has said once or twice that she needs to repeat herself or be very obvious for me to get it. Verses 12 to 16 tells me this. What you do after the miracle matters. Here in the middle of the night, what's Peter do? Doesn't say that he went home to clean up, sleep in his bed, wait till the morning to tell people. He went straight from the jailbreak to where the church was praying. Middle of the night. He rolls up to the door, 
And what I love is how it mirrors. Like the lame man who was healed, he went leaping right into the church to share his testimony, right? Peter goes right to the church. Take the testimony to God's people. Here's a very practical application. The other night, my phone rings. I look at my phone. I knew it was Jerry Culbertson. You know how? Because my phone said Jerry Culbertson, and then I picked it up, and he said, hey, guy, and that's what he always says to me. I knew it was Jerry Culbertson, and he is telling me that at his house, he was doing uh, something in a bathroom. He is fixing something, and all of a sudden, Yellow Jacket comes and then the yellow jacket had friends. And that yellow jacket had friends and friends and friends. And so Jerry closes the door and formulates his plan. And then he lets loose with a movie quote, a really good movie quote, because that's what we do, right? And he charges in that bathroom with a shop vac in his bare hands. And so he's going shop vac, Hong Kong fooey on these things. And he's tearing it down. And he sends me a picture. There were thousands of yellow jackets probably in this picture. He got stung once. That's how God works. But what's so cool about it is when this happens, it's like how church family wants to reach out to church family. That's what I love. That's how we need to be. That when something happens, we're telling one another, now listen, this is great. You're going to love what God just did. When Peter arrives to the house, they're still interceding on his behalf. Knock, knock. Girl named Rhoda comes to the door. Who's there? It's Peter. She runs away screaming. She doesn't even open the door. This is who they're gathered praying for, and she runs away. She goes to tell the rest of the people, and they say to her, no, this is what they're praying about. Rhoda, you're beside yourself. You're imagining things. And then they say to her, no, she keeps insisting. And then they say, that must be his angel. Okay, now theologically, people don't turn into angels when they die, but like that's kind of weird. Like what we're praying about, well, he must be dead, and that's his angel. Like what kind of prayer meeting did this just turn into, right? So Peter continues knocking. They opened the door, and they saw him, and the Bible says they were astonished. Now, I don't even know how to take this, right? Because if people stayed up all night praying for me, I'd be like, I love that. But then, like, if what they were praying for really happened and they didn't believe it happened, I'd be like, wait, what's going on here? As a church, we need to believe for the miraculous. And when the miraculous happens, we need to accept the miraculous. And we need to shout about the miraculous. And we need to sing about the miraculous and tell other people about the miraculous. Here's a story that I'm going to end with to close. We're going to be having communion in a few moments. The story is told about a church in a small town. It seemed to have everything going its way. There were no casinos, no liquor stores, and no bars in the entire town. After several years, however, a honky-tonk was built on Main Street. It would have to be a honky-tonk, because I know how the devil feels about country music. The congregation was very much disturbed by this honky-tonk, and they held several all-night prayer meetings in which some members specifically asked for God to let this place burn down. Well, a few days later, in the middle of the night, a tremendous thunderstorm came. Lightning struck that drinking establishment. Fire completely demolished it. The owner, knowing how that church had been praying, sued the church for damages. 
His lawyer claimed that it was their prayers which caused the loss. So in response, the church hires their own lawyer and fights the charges. After many hearings and much deliberation, the judge declared, it's the opinion of this court that wherever the guilt may lie in this, that the tavern owner is the only one here who really believes in the power of prayer. And that entire church down the street, their members do not. I say that because as a church, I'm not going to apologize for the miraculous things that God does. I'm not going to apologize for praying on someone's behalf for something that is a miracle, that's going to take a God miracle to come forth. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to be with people who agree that way. I am going to gladly, when it happens, shout it from the mountaintops, if you will, and I'm not going to be quiet. And as a church, that's what I'm encouraging you, right? I'm not going to try to talk myself. Well, it wasn't really a miracle. I mean, no, it was a miracle. It's bold talk. But I just want to encourage you today. Just a little recap there. When you've done all that you can do, and it's time to rest, rest. If you are in a position where you can offer up prayers for people, pray. And we often say this, how would you want people to pray for you or your family if the sky fell? Those are the kind of prayers we need to offer up. Pray believing, church. We serve a great God. If you'll stand, I'm going to read a scripture. Ushers, if you would like to get ready after I read this scripture. Let me read it first, and then we'll pass this out. Actually, pass it out. Let's just switch it off. If you haven't been here in a while, we have been remaining in our seats for communion. Um, just tends to flow a little better. Ushers are going to come and pass the bucket. This is the only time in church that you should take anything out of a bucket that is passed to you. to be reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'd like to thank you, Usher team, 
starting with verse 23. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. For the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. But then it goes on to say, Anyone who drinks, who eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord, that you should examine yourself. We're going to bow our heads and pray in a minute. Before we do that, here at the bottom, what I love is that it says you should wait for one another. You know, and so if you wonder, why do we all do this at the same time? Why do we? Because the way this was set up was that sharing a meal was such an intimate time together. That the way Jesus chose to do this, the way that he chose this template for the church to use, it is a time for us as family to be together. What makes us family is the blood of Jesus Christ. So as we bow our heads, I would just ask you, take stock heart before God there's things that you need to ask forgiveness for I would say this is the time Father right now I just thank you for your sacrifice I thank you Father for loving us when we're at our worst I thank you God because of the cross of Calvary because of your resurrection because of you being the Lord of our life. Father, that there is hope and there is future. Right now, I ask you to examine my heart, God. Where I fall short, point it out to me. Father, forgive me. Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can now open this up. And before you eat the bread, I always like to break it. Broken for us. to be able to do that in a house where we don't have to worry about law enforcement coming through the back door because our beliefs have been outlawed.
like to thank you for being with us today. I'm going to pass this off to my wife in a moment. But I just wanted to thank everyone for yesterday. That was just something we thought that may work out. But I was just talking with Stephen this morning. He was saying that everyone who came here with a car yesterday was leaving saying, what a great event it was. People saying, people here treat us like family. That's what it's about. And so I just like to thank you as a church for participating in that. I'd like to thank everyone who had a part. And we're looking forward to more great things in the future.